morning folks, we're reading this morning in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. It's no um, coincidence that one of our hymn books is called Little Flock. You know the one that we use, it's called Little Flock. And that really comes from, um, it really comes from Luke chapter 12, where the Lord says, Fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. And the Lord's thinking about his people gathering, and he's calling them a little flock. And, and a wee meeting like this, one, two, maybe eight, ten, twelve of us, is a little flock, isn't it? Isn't it? And that's why one of the hymns, the hymn book's called Hymns for the Little Flock. Now, I've been part of a little flock assembly like this for probably nearly 50 years now, folks. And, and if I know anything about uh, little local churches like this is we all go through different seasons, don't we, in a local church. Sometimes the seasons are seasons of blessing and joy and prosperity. And other times they're seasons of, you know, trial and difficulty. And, 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 um, and you know, we've been through two years, maybe more than two years of difficulty, haven't we, just even getting together. I was just thinking this morning as I was I was praying earlier on how at the moment here in our little flock in Bensham there just seems to be a, a trial of folks going through uh, bodily sickness and ailments doesn't there just at the moment I, I was thinking about Sylvia over Christmas time we mustn't forget Sylvia who's been really unwell and, and Les and Norma are not here this morning because Les has had some real difficulties um, Bobby and Anne Fold and um, John and Maureen have not been so well over over a little while, uh, and Janet's really quite unwell this morning as well. And I was just thinking how, you know, when we pray for each other, we should be praying according to the circumstances we find ourselves in, shouldn't we? Really, not just in a kind of general way, but you know, maybe we should be thinking very specially about our folks at the, at the moment that are going through the trials and difficulties of maybe bodily weakness or sickness or, 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 or something something like that. And we learn from that, don't we, that Christians are not exempt from the trials of life, are we? We get, we get bereavement and we get sicknesses and we get trials and we get unemployment. And so it encourages us really just to pray for each other more, doesn't it? And, and I think as we enter another week, we're conscious that there are a number of folks that need, really need our prayers in a very special way. So let's read in Romans chapter 11. I want to see, say a couple of things about it before we read the, the verses. We're reading from verse 30, verse 11 down to verse 36. And because it's a really substantial portion, um, we won't be able to comment on every verse. So I just want to say some things about it so that when we read the verses together, you'll be able to pick up the kind of main themes and ideas uh, about what, what we're talking about. Today's passage is coming to the end of a really, really important section because we'll talk a bit about the minute about the context of the gospel. But the question in Romans 9, 10, and 11 is Has God changed his plan? That's really what the question is. There's a people, the children of Israel, who really believed that they were the be all and end all of God's plan. And they had good reason to believe that because away, even right back in Genesis 12, God promised Abraham that his family would be a, not only a people that were important, but they would have a place that was important. And so the nation of Israel became not just a people 
but they became the occupiers of a place. And so there's a land of Israel and a nation of Israel. And all through the Old Testament, the blessing of God seemed to be prioritized for Israel, didn't it? And now the Lord Jesus had come. He had shaken up completely this whole idea that Israel was the be-all and end-all. And so when the gospel was preached, the Jewish people who heard the gospel, they got quite upset and they said, look, if we accept this gospel, does that mean that God's changed his plan? That's really what they're saying. Has God finished up with that Israel that he had in the Old Testament? Has God changed his plan and set aside Israel for something different? And we're going to see as we go through this, God doesn't change his mind. right? God doesn't change his plan. God doesn't get caught out by circumstances and have to make another change in his direction. No, 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 no. God always has had, continues to have, and will continue to have, a plan for the nation of Israel. It's just the reality of the scripture. And there are Christians who I love and respect and would happily sit under their teaching who don't see it the same way. They don't see the the nation of Israel as having any more plan, uh, part in the plan of God. And I find that difficult to understand how people so biblically intelligent and godly can't see from particularly Romans 9, 10 and 11 how that God still has a plan for his people. Has God cast away his people? But what we're going to learn is that God is not now dealing with the nation of Israel nationally. He's dealing with them individually. So in other words, Jews get saved and the same basis that Gentiles get saved as individuals, right? So God's not dealing with the nation of Israel. He's dealing with individuals in Israel and nations. And that's what Duduzi was talking about last week, about how people get saved. Uh, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And so there's that sense in which everybody now is saved on the same basis, Jew or Gentile. And I'm particularly uh, indebted to the Jews. I was We were far away last Sunday, but we were certainly tuned in um, last Sunday, listening to Duzi's exhortation about the gospel and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard. And, and the great commission of getting out and about with the gospel, that's really, really important. So today's passage from verse 11 down to verse number 36 is finishing off this idea God has not finished with Israel nationally he's not they may be in abeyance at the moment there may be a pause in the way that God deals with them nationally while God works a work of great eternal significance to bring Jew and Gentile together as part of the church but God has not sidelined Israel, forgotten about Israel, abandoned Israel. And we've, we've even read that here. Has God cast away his people? And there's a verse that says this, God forbid. And that expression, God forbid, appears ten times in the book of Romans. And what it really means is, no, by no means, certainly not. Paul's saying, God forbid, it's the strongest possible way to say no. So look, look what, 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 um, after we've finished what the doozy was talking about, about the election of grace uh, last week, it says this in verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? In other words, have Israel 
been so blind when the Lord came and have they been so antagonistic to him when he came and have they rejected him so much when he came that they should fall to a place where they'll never be recovered that, that's, the, that's what's in that question have Israel gone too far that's another way of putting it look what he says God forbid God forbid so I mean verses like that just make me absolutely sure that God still has a purpose for the, for the nation of Israel and so he goes on to say this but rather through their fall salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy <laughs> jealousy can be a bad thing can't it really can be a bad thing but it can also be a good thing. And the word jealous in our modern language has a very negative, bad connotation. I'm jealous of your car. I'm jealous of your house. I'm jealous of your bank balance. I'm jealous of your... And it's a bad... It's like the idea of the Tenth Commandment coveting, isn't it? Breaking the law. That's what the word jealous in our modern parlance means. But, but in biblical parlance, it can mean that, but it can also mean a good thing. It can mean... I have an aspiration, a good aspiration to be like you. And I value something very, very much. So, our God is a jealous God. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean he's got some bad attitude in his heart? It doesn't mean that at all. It means he values and longs for something so much that he just will do anything to recover it. And so what this is saying is that through the fall... Salvation has come to the Gentiles, so the Jews should now be looking at Gentiles and seeing God's blessing on them and think, we want that blessing as well. So it's God's way of trying to provoke the Jews to come back to him. Whereas they had rejected him when the Lord Jesus came, now the Lord's working with the Gentiles, and one of the kind of side effects of it is to make Jews want to be saved. That, that's the idea. They're looking at the blessing of the Gentiles, they're looking at the blessing of the church, and they're saying, boy, God's at work there. That's what we really want. We really want to be part of that. So that kind of puts to death the whole modern trans, you know, movement that says that we should become Jewish the church should become Jewish. You know, and, and there are Jews who get saved and Gentiles. But the church, the Christians, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, has a very distinct character that's not Jewish. That's not Jewish. And I know Christians that call themselves, you know, my messianic Jews and things like that, and I understand their sincerity and their desire, but it misses the point, doesn't it? Misses the point. Look what it says. That their fall is coming to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. So here was what we're going to look. Today's passage, as we read these verses, we're going to look at the purpose of God. The purpose of God hasn't changed. But the purpose of God emphasizes now the salvation of Gentiles to encourage Jews to be saved. Then we're going to look at a picture. It's a picture of a vine. And we'll see that Israel was cut off from the vine and the Gentiles were grafted into the vine. And we're going to think about this picture of the vine. And the vine is a picture of God's blessing. God's blessing. Then we're going to think about the privilege and the problem that comes a little later on. And right at the end, the two verses at the end I want to spend a little time on about the passion for the glory of God. So, so just the purpose, the picture, the problem, and the passion. Let's read that as we go down through. And as you keep those four things in your mind, we'll stop at some verses and just try and emphasize those truths. 
So let's start again. I say then, have they, the Jews, the nation, stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles. If you read in Matthew's Gospel in particular, some Gentiles came to the Lord for blessing. It was a woman from Canaan came to the Lord for blessing. And the Lord said, excuse me, I've come first of all to the nation of Israel. And there was a priority when the Lord was on earth for the ministry to the, to the Jews. You'll see that. But you know, his priority to the Jews did not mean that Gentiles didn't get blessing. Because there was many a, a blessing came to Gentiles. And that woman from Cana, do you know what she was called? She said, I have not seen so great faith. And it was a Canaanitish woman. Now, if the fall of them, in other words, if Israel's rejection of Christ be the riches of the world, in other words, the rest of the world, and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, so they've rejected the Lord and the Gentiles are blessed, and that's an amazing thing. Look what he says. How much more their fullness. In other words, if while they're rejecting the Lord, the Gentiles are blessed in such a wonderful way, what more wonderful blessing will there be when they're restored to the Lord? That's what he's, that's his argument. He's saying, if they're falling away just now and so much blessing comes of it, how much more blessing will come when they're being restored? And I just can't get my head around any other understanding of those verses at all. And it says this. For I speak to you Gentiles, right? So now he's not speaking to Jews. He's explaining to Gentiles how God's relation to Israel worked, all right? And as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify by office my office. If by any means I may provoke them to emulation, them which are of my flesh, and might save some of them. In the first century, if you're going to choose somebody more suited to go to Jews with the gospel, they would have found nobody more suited than Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul. He's the man that when he filled out his CV, you would have looked at it and says, what kind of place can we put him in our organisation? You would have said, he's going to be the apostle, apostle to the Jews because he knows everything about them. Do you know what he says? I'm actually not the apostle to the Jews. I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. The Gentiles. And he says... It's that very way that magnifies, expands the significance of this because the Jews are going to look at me and they're going to say, that boy was the Jew of the Jews and now he's going to the Gentiles. And he's explaining to the Gentiles. He says this, If by any means I may provoke to emulation, jealousy again, them which are of my flesh and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world... So we're back to this same idea. You know, if God says, okay, you've rejected... You remember, you remember, you go back to Matthew's Gospel when the Lord Jesus was hanging on a tree. You know what the representatives of Israel said, don't you, when they, when they, hang, when they hung on a tree? We will not have this man to reign over us. And you remember, the, 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 the religious leaders stood at the foot of the cross and they said, his blood be on us and our children and God says okay I'm going to hold you to that I'm going to hold you to that and right to today folks God still holds the nation of Israel to account for that now 
on Friday I was in the prison and there's a Jewish chaplain in the prison, he's called Nehemiah and he lives up in Pension Road and we just had the most wonderful discussion about Mount Moriah, right, okay, Mount Moriah but when you speak to people in the Jewish community, they still have this arrogance about them, they still have this they still have this and Nehemiah is a lovely man and I like him very well but he still has this attitude that you know actually you guys know nothing and he couldn't believe that I knew something about the Old Testament And but they knew everything about Christ coming and rejected him didn't they and God said okay you will suffer the consequences and so God doesn't put them away and just forget about them he said okay the consequences are I am going to do something with Gentiles and I hope you're going to see the blessing that you're missing out on. That, that's the idea. He says this. For if the casting of the way be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? So if in this period that we're living in, and I need to be careful how I put it, I want to put it right. Part of the reason that you and I are sitting here saved this morning is the fact that Israel rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? And through that, God has blessed us. But he says, listen, if that's true, what's going to happen when that nation of Israel are restored to the Lord? It'll be like new life, life from the dead. And again, I say to you, you need to think in your mind. You need to be able to distinguish in your mind how God deals with a nation and how he deals with individuals. So, in the Bible, it will say this, all Israel shall be saved. Right? Okay, it says that. What does that mean? It means as a nation, as a whole, Israel will be restored to the Lord. But it doesn't mean that every individual Jew will be saved. And we'll see that as we go on a little further. For if the first, so that's the, that's the purpose of God. That's the purpose of God that Israel has fallen so that the Gentiles will be blessed and in a day to come Israel will be restored and the blessing will just be more magnificent than we could ever imagine before so here's the picture for if the first fruits be holy and the lump also is holy and if the root be holy so also are the branches two little pictures we won't take time to do the subtlety of the difference but the idea is this let's pick the root and the branches if the root's good, the fruit's good. Isn't that right? And what he's saying is, listen, I'm going to show you something. The root is always good. And the root is the desire of God for his glory and for blessing. And he says, I'm going to talk to you about an olive tree. I'm going to talk to you about an olive tree. And this olive tree, not, I said a vine earlier on, I actually meant an olive tree. This olive tree is the the picture of a tree of blessing. That's what it is. It's a tree of blessing. Now, olive trees in the Old Testament have other significances to them as well. But I want you just to think about this olive tree as being a picture of the way God's blessing spreads out. Right? And the tree is the tree of God's blessing. It says this, look. For if some of the branches were broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in amongst them with, the, with them that partakest of the root and the fatness thereof, boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou therest bearest not the root, but the root thee. 
So, here, uh, let's, let's read on so as we get the whole thing. They will say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. So, here's the idea. God's blessing, predominantly this tree of God's blessing, the branches of that olive tree were Israel. And they were the natural branches of God's blessing all through the Old Testament. Didn't mean Gentiles couldn't be blessed, because, but Gentiles were always blessed in association with Israel, right, in the Old Testament. So this tree had branches, and the branches were the Jewish nation. And God said, do you know what's happened? I've broken off those natural branches. I've broken off those natural branches. Why? Because of their unbelief, because of the rejection of Christ. In other words, the Jews are not enjoying the blessing of God the way they should be. No, they're not. And he says, what I've done is, I've grafted into the olive tree some wild branches. Now, I know nothing about gardening. I know nothing about grafting. But I do know that you can graft into trees branches from another. So apple trees, for example, there's a, they can put a, a stalk and then they'll take a branch from another type of tree and they'll graft it in. And the, the, the branch will graft in and the blessing will be seen. Fruit will be produced. And what he's saying is, here's the picture. The olive tree of God's blessing. The Jews were the branches. Those Jewish branches have been broken off because of their unbelief, and in their place, the Gentiles, you and me, have been grafted in, in their place. And he says this, Wilt thou say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in? Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. That means be reverence. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. <laughs> in other words, if the Lord has saved us and blessed us, we've absolutely nothing to boast about. Isn't that right? We can't look at these people up in Bensham or in Cheatham Hill and other places as Jews that have rejected the Lord and now say what they said, we're better than them because we're not. We're not. That's the way the Jewish nation treated the rest of the world. We are better than them. But now because God has blessed us as Gentiles, we can't reverse that and look at Jews and say, we are better than them because we're not. We're only all on the same basis. And you go back to Romans 1 and Romans 2 and Romans 3, where Jew and Gentile are now completely dealt with on exactly the same basis. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. I was reading in the newspaper this week. I read far too, I listen to far too much news for my own good folks. I really, really do. And sometimes our news world is just saturating our brains now to a point where it does its damage rather than helps us. And I was reading, and somebody was saying about God can only accept, God will accept a particular section of behaviour amongst all people because God is love. God is love. So anybody, everybody, anybody and everybody, no matter what they practice and what they do, God's got to accept them because God is love. We believe in God is love, don't we? really do. But he's not just love. Look at this. Behold the goodness and severity of God. Now again, our modern language means severe, means hard, harsh, unkind, punishing. That's not what this word means. This word means the sharpness of God. It's a word that means sharp. It means that God sees things black and white. Right? And God makes distinctions. Things that are different are different, aren't they? 
things are not all the same. Our world just wants it to be everybody to be a homogenous mush, right? A homogenous mush. But there are differences. And God makes a difference between Jews and Gentiles in the way he deals with them. Look what he says. On them which fell severity. In other words, the Jews have felt the sharpness of God. But if but towards thee, goodness. If thou continue in this goodness, otherwise thou shalt be caught off off. In other words, don't think that you have any right to God's blessing more than the Jew has, because you don't. It's all by grace and faith. Look at the time, let's just read it. And they also, the Jews, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in again. For God is able to graft them in again. So we're now looking back at the Old Testament and we're now thinking about a time when Jesus Christ returns in glory and the Jewish nation will say, we will look on him whom we pierced and they'll say, we made a big mistake. That's what's going to happen. In the days ahead, the Jewish nation as a whole, I don't mean every single individual one, but as a whole, the Jewish nation will say, we got it wrong. We got it wrong. He was our Messiah. And by their repentance, and by their faith, and by the grace of God, on the basis of Calvary, the Jews as a nation will be restored back to God. I was careful what I said. By faith, through grace, on the basis of Calvary, they'll be restored. Because that's the only way enemies ever restored to God. Jew or Gentile, it doesn't, God's not changing his purpose. God's not changing the rules. He's not changing them at all. And this is what he says. For if... Uh, where are we reading? Verse 24. For if you, they were cut off of the olive tree, which is well by nature, and were grafted in contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these which by natural branches be grafted into their own olive trees? So, let's read on. For I would not, brethren, you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. Can you see how time and time again Paul's encouraging us not to boast? We need to be careful, folks. God hates pride. If God has granted us blessing, understanding of the scriptures, light on things that other people don't have light on, that is not a reason to be proud. It's a much greater reason to be humble. And he's saying that here. He says, For I would, brethren, that you should, verse 25, should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened unto Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. What does that mean? It means until God's plan comes to the point where he says, okay, I've gathered in my bride and now I'm going to go back to moving with Israel. And so God, without going into details, God's working to a plan and each plan has like, it's like a train with different stations on it and things happen and you go into the next part of the journey. And this fullness of the Gentiles, again, we don't have time to go into the whole thing. It's just when the Lord comes and the churches gather together, that's the fullness of the Gentiles, then Israel will start to be restored to the Lord. We won't, we won't talk about the eschatology. And so here's this word. And so all Israel shall be saved. Now that doesn't mean every Jew individually. It means a nation shall be saved. So at the end of the Second World War, 
the United Kingdom was victorious. They were saved, weren't they, from, from Hitler? But not everybody lived to see that victory, did they? And so you've got to distinguish between Israel nationally and Israel individually. As it is written, they shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and he shall turn away the ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. Go back to the book of Acts and start to read the book of Acts. Where did the greatest opposition to the gospel come from? It wasn't the Romans. The Romans eventually opposed the gospel because it was getting out of hand for them, right? But the initial persecution of Christians came from the Jewish nation and religious leaders. They hated people who were preaching Christ. And again, folks, we've been in this area now a long time, and to do I'll tell you, when we tracked or we try and do the gospel in this area, when we go up that way to give out leaflets, right, let me tell you, the rejection up that way is much greater than the rejection if you go that way. Just because of the nature of the population up there. And we've, we've had people tearing things up in their face, people spitting at us, people pushing things back out the doors. And I love these people. I love these people. Don't misunderstand me. But their opposition to the gospel is, is great. Isn't it really great? And that was why a few, was it a few months ago, we had that brother in with us, the, 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 the brother who does the, the Society for the Distribution of Hebrew Scriptures, and they try and reach out to Jews with, with the gospel. That's a very difficult task and should be well prayed for, really it is. Look at this. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. One word to explain, repentance. Repentance for our mind means to say sorry and change your mind, right? That's not what this word means. This means the gifts and callings, God's purpose and plans, are without, it means they're irrevocable. That's what it means. It means they're unchangeable, they're non-negotiable, they're without any possibility of changing his mind. God never changes his mind. (laughs) Never does. For as ye in the times past have not believed God, yet now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they may also obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy on all. And we're back to this whole idea that, you know, they've rejected, you've been blessed, hopefully they'll see your blessing and they'll see that blessing as a reason to turn to the Lord and be saved. Here's the last little section. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counsellor? In other words, however hard we try, we'll never figure it out fully. Isn't that right? However hard we try, and we do try hard to discern the mind of the Lord, We're grateful for that. But we'll never fully understand it until we get to heaven. Isn't that right? And however hard you try and get your head around this idea that God's chosen his people and now they've rejected and they'll be restored one day. And however hard you try and get your mind around election and responsibility, sovereignty and responsibility, however hard you struggle, you'll never figure it out. The point is this. Just don't argue with God. 
Just don't argue with God. And that's what we do with the scriptures, folks. We don't examine the scriptures to argue with God, do we? We've had people do that. We've had people here who, who, who examine the scriptures with an intention of arguing with God and asking God and really saying that God's got a right to explain to them what he, and until he, God explains to me and I fully understand I won't accept it. That's not the way a Christian works. God has revealed his mind that is so much greater than ours in a way that hopefully we can understand at least something of his purpose will never fully enter into it. Listen to this. Last verse. Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him. For of him, and through him, and to him, are all things. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. For of him, God is the origin, the source of everything and through him God is the agent the energy the power of everything and to him so he's the origin and the purpose he's the energy and the power and to him now he's the end result he's the aim if you like of all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, it's not about us. It's about him. We don't live for our glory. We live for his glory. And it's all about him. When I first started reading Puritan writers, the first book I read was The, book of, uh, the Body of Divinity by Thomas Watson. Thomas Watson was a 16th century preacher who catechised the congregation. And the way he catechised the congregation was, uh, 17th century, sorry, he went through the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is a, a series of questions and answers that teach biblical truth. I'm a great fan of catechising, I confess that to you, but um, not everybody is, but I am. So you ask a question and you get an answer, and the answer is biblical. So, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the first question is this. What is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? And this is the answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I started to read that book, and it took me about four weeks to get through the first chapter. Not because I didn't understand it, but because I did understand it. And Thomas Watson gives 17 different ways in which you can glorify God in your life. And every single page, every paragraph, every line made me bow my head in shame. Because, brothers and sisters, we've got to live for his glory, his eternal glory. We have to live and work and, and have jobs and have families and go shopping. We have to do all that stuff. I understand that. But the only thing that really matters in the end is what? What we do for his glory. His glory. And so at the end of this passage that says God's not forgotten about Israel. God is taking up Israel. The point is this. Whatever God is doing, it's all for him. It's all for his glory. So in this little period of time that we're in, 2021, 22, look at that. 
That shows you how old I'm getting. 2022. We are living in 2022. And here's our motive. Our motive and our motto. For of him and through him and for him are all things. To Christ be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we're so humbled by the grace that's been shown to us. We were outsiders, Gentiles, sinners. And yet thou hast moved thy purpose in such a way that we've been brought into the greatest blessing of all, knowing Christ. We bless thee for that. Help us, Lord, to see that and every moment of every day to have thy glory as the very object of all that we do and say. And we just thank thee that thou art a God of grace that overlooks our failures and our weaknesses. And despite us, thou dost use us for thy glory. So, Lord, we're grateful to be here. We do pray for the folks at home. Some are separated because just of circumstances. Others are finding the way really tough, maybe physically or mentally. And we pray for each one and pray that our little, the little flock here that belongs to thee, Lord, might grow and become healthy and vibrant for the glory of the Good Shepherd. So we give thanks and ask thy blessing in the Lord's name. Amen. Sorry, folks, I went a wee bit over my time. Not as much as last week's speaker did, though, but... <laughs>